Welcome to Blockchain Unpacked. Blockchain Unpacked is a video cast and podcast series held in partnership between RegTech Associates and Crystal Blockchain. Join Jason Baud and Marina Kaustova every month and explore the real-world impact of criminal activity beyond the blockchain. During the series, we will introduce you to a range of experts who will help analyze regulatory effectiveness and share the latest news, trends and predictions in a digestible format to keep you in the know. Hello, hello, I'm Marina Kaustova and welcome to Blockchain Unpacked. This show features expert insights from prominent leaders in blockchain, regulatory and technology industries. And I'm delighted to be co-hosting this new show with Jason Bout, CEO of RegTech Associates. Jason and I will kick off by covering some of the developments in Web3 space that caught our eye in the past few weeks. And then we'll be joined by this week's special guest, Jonathan Dixon, Director of Regulatory Affairs at Aventus for EMEA. And he will dig into some of these topics and provide insight that you'll struggle to find anywhere else. So without further ado, Jason, how are you? How are you doing? We've been recording last episode a few weeks ago. So what's been going in your world since then? Hey, thanks, Marina. It's really good to see you again. I know how super busy you've been. Uh, April's been a really busy time at RegTech Associates. We've been doing lots of uh, research and writing in a couple of areas recently. Uh, the first being market surveillance and then secondly, AI. And if I start quickly on the AI side, we've been looking at AI regulations and their impact over the coming year or two years and obviously you know you'd have to be um you know hiding in a cave somewhere to not notice how much noise there is about artificial general intelligence or agi as it's known and also large language models or llms and chat everyone talks about chat gpt but we've been actually looking at the likely impact of the ai regulations as they come into force in 2024 so that's the first area we've been really busy with all right. Yeah, that's definitely a very hot topic now. I see many, many startups uh, you know, emerging right now. A lot of interest coming from the investors, particularly because there is a lot of funding available right now for the seed um, funding, for the Series A funding. And it's perfect you know, for these kind of businesses, as we all know. So, yeah, understandably, that's that's a very hot topic right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the second area we've been looking at, which is is connected, I think every everything's almost connected to AI these days, but is uh, on the market surveillance side. So, I mean, we, we've covered this actually, Marina, a couple of times, right? We covered it in our first um, chat and a, a little bit last uh, time we recorded. Uh, but, you know, there's lots of evidence pointing in crypto markets, um, mirroring the market abuse behaviors in traditional finance markets. And you know, no one should be surprised if we use terms like pump and dump or layering or spoofing or front running. It shouldn't be unfamiliar to people. And what we've been uh, working on is uh, the, the looking at the technology that's used to detect this behavior. So how do you monitor trade based data, but also how you communicate uh, the communication uh, data surrounding that misbehavior? So, you know, Telegram, WhatsApp, Discord, email, etc. And last week in London, we hosted 25 leaders of, um, of market surveillance uh, functions in, in leading financial organizations to discuss this very topic connected into AI. So how do the how do the new systems that are around start to use general AI technology um, to help with market abuse? So, yeah, super interesting conversations. 
Yeah, we, we, we see a lot of uh, talks and, uh, you know, for also from our customers and from big financial institutions uh, about, you know, they, they, they all seem to be very, um, very much, you know, engaged in the process of, you know, brainstorming about how the final products could look like. And uh, um, I would say that, yeah, I mean, uh, particularly, you know, cross-referencing latest developments in AI with what's required right now, um, or, or what's expected right now for the um, cryptocurrency regulation creates an additional, you know, these cross-section of the, you know, also most hot topics right now, most hot uh, industries right now. So, yeah, uh, I believe that's the, you know, that's the future of the innovation for the compliance um, definitely, you know, um, with crypto, when crypto emerged, it provides so much, you know, more data, so much more fields and opportunities for, for compliance to develop uh, and, you know, introduce new techniques for, you know, understanding um, uh, the uh, money laundering techniques. But now with AI, it, like it seems it moves even further. Um, so, yeah, um, great to see that and super excited to also like understand, uh, you know, how um, what what kind of new vendors or what kind of new products can emerge yeah. from that? Yeah, yeah, we've actually got a, a bit of research coming out between now and when we do the next mm. recording, looking at the whole conduct risk technology space, and uh, you know we we're seeing quite a lot of changes there with incumbent technology vendors buying some of the new AI native AI startups, mm. and it, it's pretty interesting. We've got Aventus on the show today. Aventus are a bit of a crossover. They cover traditional asset classes and yeah. and the new, if you like, digital uh, asset classes. So it's a bit of serendipity that we've been working on that. But also we've got Jonathan on the show. So I'm super excited to hear what he's got to say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Looking forward to this conversation uh, and uh, hearing more insight from him. So Marina, you're a, you're a really busy lady. You're all <laughs> around the world. Tell me in the last month, uh, if you can fit it into a few minutes, anyway, what, what's, what's been the most exciting things you've been involved in oh i'll try to i'll try to yeah last uh, uh last weeks were super busy for us it's a hard time because of the again the um uh, the general like instability of the market and uh, it translates very easily to you know all the all our customers being you know worried or being uh, about you know what's going on and asking for you know more clarity more support uh, in these times, um, and uh, yeah, uh, it's it, it was very very busy. Also, like on the product development side for us, uh, as we were releasing hundreds of new cryptocurrencies as of lately. So uh, it's it's a big time. But uh, yeah, last week was particularly crazy. Uh, I started that week at uh, Europol actually. So Europol every year runs um, a conference devoted to cryptocurrency related crime, where they try to connect uh, law enforcement officers um, uh, with the private companies dealing with digital assets on a day-to-day -day basis, particularly like exchanges um, um, and uh, blockchain-related companies as well. So it has been running for seven years already in a row. Um, and yeah, we are participating for a while already in this uh, conference. And it's always a great like uh, uh, opportunity for us to, you know, understand how what we do actually is being applied against the ongoing crime and to understand, you know, how this is changing uh, year to year. Um, because of course, you know, we are dealing with this data and we're providing information about um, crimes associated with digital assets, we're using digital assets, 
But this information gets to us only, you know, it has been processed by law enforcement. And here we had an opportunity to, you know, to hear about this experience like firsthand. Um, first search. So yeah, it was it was it was a great moment to to be there and uh, um, to understand you know all the latest developments. Uh, it's not a secret again that uh, you know while the markets might be in like in any kind of turbulence uh, or there might be like a crypto winter or not. Um, again, scammers are not uh, you know they do not pause at any moment. Uh, like us working like 24 hours on developing um, anti-money laundering products, they are devoting 24 hours, you know, <laughs> to, uh, for seven to evolve, uh, you know, their techniques to um, somehow um, uh, trick, you know, people and design uh, their schemes and methods. So yeah, it was, it was super exciting. Great. Um, I've got a, couple, a quick question on that actually, because after the, in the last show, you mentioned, you mentioned mm -hmm. the, 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 uh, pig butchering scam right and yes. uh on mainstream tv in the uk there was a, a whole show about that mm. a, a, mm -hmm. a sort of investigative show which was yeah. really interesting i hadn't realized like how complex and sophisticated those scams are i know we touched on it briefly last time but i had a question about the europol conference so mm -hmm. how open how open are if you like the discussions about obviously they can't they don't talk about active investigations but is there much discussion around you know, like almost like typologies of crime or scams. Is there, you know, what what's the sort of format and how how does that conference work and how open is it? I guess are my questions. Well, we have of of course, like there is a um, there is a part of this conference where we are allowed to um, have direct communication to the law enforcement, and by saying we, I mean um, companies who are dealing with the digital assets and or analyzing digital assets. So. Um, cryptocurrency exchanges, blockchain analytics tools, um, and uh, even protocols, uh, they are um, um, they are actually um, reviewing and, you know, explaining, you know, how they are working internally and, uh, uh, you know, what they see, what kind of experience do they have, you know, on their side. Because every cryptocurrency exchange right now, they have their own uh, investigation team nowadays. And it's a normal practice uh, that is, you know, being adopted. And it's very frequent that, you know, they are hiring people directly from law enforcement to these units, um, actually to be able to assist with all these investigations or with all these cases as fast as possible. Again, in order to provide the best customer experience, right, to provide best uh, customer protection. Um, um, yeah, so uh, it's a very, like, natural, you know, conversation where actually investigative teams of uh, cryptocurrency exchanges or uh, even, you know, protocols are talking to investigative teams who are supporting, um, you know, these whole cases uh, from, the, um, from the law enforcement side. So, yeah, it's uh, investigators talking to investigators, always very, very, very interesting. And, yeah, yeah big watching is, is, is a big, big, big problem right now. There are, like, uh, several others, but I think this one, it has been go rolling on for, for a while right now and just recently started, like, picking up in media, finally, which is super good. Um, I really think that um, education is a key component of, you know, uh, prevention of uh, crimes and scams, particularly scams and Ponzi schemes. The earlier people are um, aware about the typology of this camps, about new things you know emerging, the easier than you know it to, it is for all of us to stop these kind of things and to uh, actually um, you know move against that. Yeah. 
Yeah, 100%. It sounds like a really interesting uh, opportunity to discuss with clients and also the industry, you know, to make sure you've got the best products on the market and, you know, as alongside the other vendors that are helping fight this crime. So, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, no, true. There, there also calls, you know, for a lot of collaboration. And that's also the point that I'm making on, you know, these um, uh, during these opportunities to speak, um, you know, along with our competitors in this space that, you know, whenever we are um, finding, you know, certain crime happening or we are uh, in a possession of certain like evidence about some massive, you know, um, scam uh, unfolding. Um, it does make sense for us to make it available, you know, to everyone in the market just to stop this thing from going forward. And there are a lot of conversations about, you know, how these collaboration uh, efforts actually could be structured or uh, uh, evolved further. But I believe in that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, you, you may have been somewhere else recently as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I jumped on the plane, arrived in Austin. So last week, uh, it was uh, consensus week. Uh, so consensus is, I think, it's uh, uh, the most like crypto conference, uh, you know, that exists uh, uh, in the world. Um, uh, they've been previously running it in New York. Last two years, it's happening in Austin, Texas. And uh, yeah, I've been visiting consensus since 2015. And um uh, to me, it was always like a new year, you know, <laughs> your whole like year revolves around this point where you meet um, with the most like prominent leaders of this space, you understand, you know, how the industry is evolving, where it's going. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was important for, for us. I was visiting consensus with our team. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, it was different this year than the last year. I'd say last year, it was pre uh, I mean, people were expecting the crypto winter should like happen any moment now, or there were already signs of that, but it wasn't in full, you know, scale. So this year it was visible, you know, that it is like actually uh, uh, happening. Um, so there were less people, um, less, I think, even like participants, but, you know, the quality of the conversations, uh, uh, it was outstanding and I loved it, absolutely. Um, something that I saw already, which, you know, echoes a little bit to our discussions during the last um, episode that we recorded, is that, um, you know, many, many um, companies that were operating globally right now, it's visible that they are deprioritizing U.S. market. If, if they are, they were looking previously for like financial institutions to get more customers from this sector. It is like quite visible that right now they would be reallocating these resources to get you know more focus or more attention to, for example, APAC region or MENA region. So particularly, yeah, at consensus, it was quite um, uh, you, you could see it, you could sense this. Um, yeah, but uh, but overall, very nice. Like again, that's a great great place to uh, to 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 feel the pulse of the industry. I'd say. Yeah, fantastic. I I, uh, I know a lot of people that were there, and it, it's sort of interesting that you know your comment about potentially firms deprioritizing the U.S. market. Obviously, we covered the U.S. market a lot last last time, and um, you know there's been some pretty big news in the EU right over the past couple of weeks that we're going to touch on in the show as well. So, yeah, really good to hear um, almost like the mood music uh, from a couple of different conferences across either side of the Atlantic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that is true. I mean, a lot of conversations that I was in were uh, about, uh, you know, uh, if you're staying in the United States, how not to get uh, sued? And if you're moving out, where do you go? Are you going to like MENA region, who is very actively, you know, also um, working on their like updated legislation? 
are you going to APAC region, which is also booming right now? I have seen mm. some news that um, upbeat Korean exchanges surpasses uh, Coinbase by its trading volumes recently. After wow. years of like cryptocurrency ban in Korea, that's super surprising to see right now. So APAC region is really ramped up. But also, of course, Europe and Mika. Uh, it's a like huge development, and uh, you know, this clarity and this um, unified, you know, approach across um, uh, many countries, uh, combined with the special um, conditions offered by some countries like Portugal um, a while ago, right now, right now in action. I, I mean, that also creates, uh, you know, that also makes Europe very. Um, valid and uh, uh, attractive destination for the companies who are seeking, you know, where to move the headquarters or they're establishing new business, where to launch the business. Yeah, as, as I think that's a really good segue to maybe dive into some of the detail, detail on, on Mika as well. I'm, I'm a big fan of, um, <laughs> of understanding the regulations and where they came from. Um, and I know you're going to give us a little brief sort of potted history of what led to the Mika regulations. But, yeah, I mean, that, that conversation, uh, I think, in, in my world in the EU has been dominated by those regulations and what what sorry, the Mika regulations and what we can expect from from now. So mm -hmm. for the benefit of our listeners, uh, Marina, should we have a little chat about the, the brief sort of history of Mika and, you know, why it's so significant in the industry? And then that's a great segue in a few minutes time as well to let Jonathan into the episode. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Happy to give this overview for anyone not familiar on how this has been developing. So, um, well, the European regulation has its own history and I think it all started in 2013 when EBA first published a warning about the cryptocurrencies. So uh, it was early, early days, but you know, even then they had people, they, they were working in particularly um, analyzing this space. Um, three years have passed since 2013 until the next big move from European regulators and ECB actually published their analysis of the way cryptocurrencies have been working. And again, they were mentioning and particularly addressing the risks associated with the cryptocurrencies and digital assets. Um, so in the following years, of course, we saw a boom of the ICOs and European regulators started like, um, of course, they were always like mentioning the risks associated with that, but they also started growing more and more into the idea of, you know, adopting the framework or understanding, you know, how that could be integrated into uh, the legislation that was already in place. And uh, I think um, until this year, what we saw is uh, uh, our European countries regulating cryptocurrencies, each under their own approach, sharing, of course, the benchmarks, sharing best practices, always following, of course, FATF guidance, which was updated every year since 2019. Uh, but anyway, um, there was there were differences, right, in that, which led to a kind of a regulatory arbitrage. Um, so in 2020, European Commission first proposed, you know, the concept of MICA. Uh, MICA is uh, Markets in Crypto Assets Regulation. So uh, after three years, it was finally adopted on 20th of April. So uh, what Mika particularly covers are three areas in related to cryptocurrencies. So first of all, token issuance and everything related to that. So that's a big, big topic. And uh, I think um, it has many sections in, the, uh, in this document um, uh, related to that. Um, the second part is the licensing of the services that are related to cryptocurrencies. 
And the third big topic is the market manipulation restrictions, uh, which has been, of course, a big problem, you know, looking back and still is. And I think here they also try to, again, apply the existing restrictions for uh, traditional markets to cryptocurrency and normalize that a little bit. So, yeah, uh, well, Mika will be fully come to the enforced state at uh, November, with parts of that becoming enforced since starting July next year. Um, yeah, and uh, I think until November or until July, regulators will be developing a set of particular requirements and um, uh, guidances on how the white paper should be structured, how the token issues should be operating. So we will be seeing more and more documentation um, coming this way. Yeah, and I'm thinking, yeah, um, yeah. yeah uh, just a, just a quick comment on that. I <laughs> yeah. mean, I, I, you know, I mean, it's a it's a really really big topic. I, you know, we, yeah. we'll we'll get into some of the, some more of the detail, but. You know, I, I like looking back in history to see, you know, where regulations come from and how effective they're going to be moving forward. And I think, you know, you talked about comparing it previously to GDPR, I think a little bit mm -hmm. about MIFID. Uh, so the regulations, the MIFID uh, regulations that exist and, you know, the EU sort of operates on this um, sometimes fairly slow cadence. But actually, you know, the, the history shows that they get the regulations there eventually. Right. Both with MIFID. Uh, uh in the financial markets now in its second iteration and and privacy regs like gdpr um you know and they'll, they'll get there i think the other the other thing that happened at the same time which has almost gone under the radar is the travel rule uh regulations or yeah. you know was, was, came in at the same time right or, or went through the same process um so that's and that's going to be interesting to to maybe touch on in another another episode because i think Token issuance, licensing, and market manipulation is quite a lot to, to touch in one in one episode. Sure, true. Sorry, it's uh, it's uh, and 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 again, Mika is not complete as it is. Uh, we are to see, you know, a lot of uh, uh, other documents and guidelines, uh, particularly yeah. regarding DeFi, and some um, categories of the tokens are actually not covered by Mika, which has been highlighted by many market participants. So they're going to be a lot of new like topics also um that will be covered you know by additional regulation but as a first step i think it's it's, it's something that everyone has been waiting for a very long time yeah 100 percent um should we anything else to cover quickly marina or should we should we get jonathan no on? i i think I, i'm actually super eager to hear Jonathan's view on all of that uh so i think uh yeah uh let's invite uh jonathan Okay, Jonathan, while we wait for you to join us on stage, let me re remind the listeners of Jonathan's background. So Jonathan brings nearly two decades of experience in financial services firms and more than nine years experience in working in trade surveillance. He's currently the Director of Regulatory Affairs for EMEA at Aventus, who are a provider of trade surveillance and risk monitoring technology. Jonathan works with his clients and industry bodies to champion regulatory effectiveness and protect them from market misconduct and Jonathan your experience includes working with tier one banks consultancies and most recently serving as Kraken's head of surveillance so uh welcome to the show thank you very much it's a pleasure to be here Jason and uh thank you very much for inviting me it's a, a real nice opportunity to uh talk about Mika and talk about uh, my background and talk about the current uh pressures on the industry so thank you Jason and thank you Marina yeah, John, it's great to have you with us today So for such an exciting conversation. And uh, yeah, happy to hear your perspective. 
but uh, what you've been up to for the last uh, week? Uh, like, what's what's going on in your world? Since we're sharing, you know, our views on that. <laughs> yes, yeah, so Ventus had a, a London client forum uh, at the end of last week, which was my first opportunity to really get my my face and my name out there a little bit. I, I joined uh, in the end of February. So it's been a, a fun, uh, a fun chance to get my name out there. Uh, we were talking about Mika actually, and I was told <laughs> off by accidentally saying Mika at the very, very, very beginning. And one of my European colleagues in there swiftly uh, fell on me and said, "Jonathan, it's Mika. We, we we have to say Mika in the same way we say Mifid." And I realised my error before my words came out my mouth, but uh, wasn't able to stop myself. Um, but what we were talking about more generally were, um, will the rest of the world be following Europe? So where Europe leads, will the rest of the world follow? Uh, the segue between the uh, the events of Mika, particularly on uh, CASPs or crypto asset service providers, and what's happening in the UK at the moment with the HMT uh, Treasury consultation paper, who I believe finished their consultation period on Sunday, so just before the weekend ended. I'm just trying to see whether or not we're going to see a degree of correlation between where the regulators are really putting their efforts and on protecting retail. So it's been interesting a couple of weeks, especially with Mika being voted on and the HMT consultation paper ending. And then my first foray into public speaking for Aventus. So uh, you are my second attempt. So I've got no excuses for getting anything wrong with you guys. I've had my <laughs> Have my first shot already. So thank you. <laughs> no, awesome. It's, it's really good. Obviously, uh, people should realise that the UK is not part of the EU uh, from a legal and regulatory perspective. And so the HMT uh, consultation that you, you spoke about is, you know, part of the UK's response. Um, and I guess the pressure will be on the UK. I'm just maybe going off script a little bit, but interesting to hear your, your thoughts on... Um, on how they're getting on the UK yeah, government. So I, I, I've really been focusing on the trade surveillance part of it, given that that's my last nine years and also where I, I really work most heavily with Aventus and, uh, and Valdez, our product as well. From my perspective, there's a great degree of, of correlation between what we see in Mar and what we see with the efforts for the consultation paper, um, which is good because we should understand the rules that exist in the market abuse regulations and regime. We should know what the efforts need to be in terms of risk assessments and prioritizing what uh, what you need to look for and how you need to deal with it. I think there is a, a degree of consternation amongst the industry about due process. Uh, so one of the things that came out from the uh, HMT paper was talking about uh, CASPs or or exchanges maintaining blacklists of clients that we that they have proposed have been found uh, to be in breach of of moral or market manipulation or insider dealing um, uh, rules. And I think the concern is that at the moment we submit stores in traditional finance to the FCA. The FCA may or may not enforce, and once you've been enforced, there may then be punishments that are meted out to you. <coughs> I think stating that crypto exchanges need to be the judge, jury, and executioner has concerns regarding due process. Uh, I also think there are concerns regarding, not that I would suggest anyone would do this, the ability to impact clients between exchanges for maybe not reasons that we should be seeing. So whilst I would never suggest that crypto exchanges would deliberately torpedo other exchanges, 
you wouldn't want to see that risk occurring at all. And I think due process is a vital thing to have. Uh, so does that make sense as uh, the area of concern that I see and uh, where we should be focusing on? Yeah, I'm really interested in in that whole, um, you know, I suppose putting the initiatives back on the CASPs and the exchanges um, to act as judge, jury and executioner, as, as you say. And, um, you know, the other thing it, it leads me to think about is the exchange of information. You know, so if, if uh, an exchange or a CASP finds, you know, decides to not do business with um, a market participant for reasons they suspect to be nefarious, then what obligation, apart from sharing, you know, it's natural to share that through a store with a regulator, but is there an expectation that information shared elsewhere, which would potentially lead to concerns around conduct, you know, across the industry um, and, and also privacy concerns, right? So I, you know, I don't know enough about the detail, but I can, my synapses are firing off in a few different places where that might be a, of concern for me. Yeah, no, I would completely agree, especially regarding privacy. I think an awful lot of the crypto environment and the way crypto firms are set up is to focus on privacy as a, a major component of how people transact and how people operate. And this is even on CFI before we even get into DeFi, which is obviously out of yeah. scope for the consultation paper and out of scope for Mika as well. Uh, yeah. So I, I, on a personal level, I fall down on the uh, understanding that due process is a good thing. Uh, but for crypto exchanges and also for technology vendors, it's about getting to that risk quicker and understanding that risk. So I think it's, it's important to make a distinction between what we should be doing as uh, providers of regulatory solutions and also for exchanges, which is get to your risk, understand your risk via risk assessments, via understanding how your clients operate, whether that's AML, KYC, or, or just doing your surveillance for, for trade surveillance. And then understanding that we think the regulators have a part to play as well and making sure the environment is safe and secure for all participants and keeping a degree of consistency between TradFi and, uh, and, 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 and crypto assets as well. I, I think a degree of understanding your risk is great and important, but also making sure the regulator does their job as well. So, Jonathan, since the first time we've met, what's really struck me is that you bring a really unique perspective to this topic, having had experience in financial institutions, tier one financial providers, but also at uh, exchanges, uh, Kraken in, in your case, and now a technology provider. So can you uh, tell us a little bit more about what Mika means uh, in it, you know, in terms of relation, in relation to KYC and AML obligations? Yeah, thank you, Jason. Uh, good question. I think it's important to first of all reference that this really touches on something that Marina mentioned at the beginning, which is the, the three separate areas that the Mika really hits on. And the first one of those is registration and authorization, in that CASPs and, and crypto exchanges are going to be required to ensure that they have AML and KYC processes that meet the requirements of Mika if they want to operate in the EU. So it's going to be a, a need to have, not a nice to have. Uh, secondly, they're going to have to do their identification and verification. Now, I'm a member of a couple of crypto exchanges due to some of the giveaways they've had and the fact I've worked at Kraken. And I'll tell you, it's not a new thing that most big exchanges should be doing tiered verification. It should be something that they do. They should have teams that deal with it. But it will be a must-have 
from now on, which is a big thing. Uh, the third point I would say are risk assessments. So they need to understand and really get to the bottom what their risks are for AML. I'm not going to say what those should be. That will obviously be dependent upon each individual CASP. Uh, but it's important to recognize that they'll have to understand their risk and, and document that. And lastly, record keeping. So like MIFID 2, making sure you know what your records are with your clients, making sure you know their transactions, making sure it's logged. Uh, so I would say those are the, the, the four main things. It's a must-have due to the authorization uh, processes that will be required, the identification and verification, understanding your risk, and lastly, the record keeping. So big thing. Oh, yeah, and I can see actually many, many companies already, you know, started like preparation for this big change. Even, you know, we are monitoring the space of the exchanges who have not been deploying, you know, any KYC or AML before. And, you know, they are, of course, like in the hoarding, you know, appropriate uh, categories uh, in the blockchain analytic tools. But, you know, even them are announcing widely right now, May is the time when we're going full KYC, like enough is enough for us. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> this big move is actually happening now. It's also an interesting question, you know, um, uh, you know, right now, how their like pre-KYC uh, period will be, you know, comprehensed by uh, their um, counterparties, um, you know, and all the transactions coming from this space. So, you know, um, moving to a clean slate maybe is not enough. You now need to do something also with your, like, you know, um, yeah, history should be taken into consideration as well. One of the things that interests me here, like you, Jonathan, I've got a, a couple of uh, accounts here and there at different exchanges. And in general, they do some level of checks and it's, you know, risk-based to the extent that if you, you know, trade in one product, you may need a check, etc. I'm really interested in the ones that haven't adopted that, right? What they're going to do with their customer base. Is they going to force them to re-enroll? Are they going to change their terms and conditions? Right? I have no idea what the answer is. I guess mm. they have to become compliant. So ultimately, you'll have to go through identity verification and onboarding checks. Otherwise, those, regardless of your state, when you became a customer at a cutoff date, you'll have to go through that. So really interested to see what happens with customer volumes right and um yeah. account volumes as organizations go through that i think what we might see is a consolidation of players in the environment i, I think we might well see a reduction in the number of casps that will be operating uh, i think <coughs> it'll be survival of the fittest and survival of the the best really that you look at the big firms like your krakens for example that do have these processes already built in and you'll find clients migrating to those exchanges that will meet these requirements or have to in order to still be uh, compliant and operate within the EU. So I think if firms lack the funds to do their KYC, they're probably lacking the funds to do business uh, and mm -hmm. cost of doing business, right? So if you can't afford to do trade surveillance and you go, I don't think it's going to happen on my platform, I'm not concerned about it. If you can't afford to do what's regulatory required, then you can't afford to operate. And I think it, it, smaller firms might maybe be pushed out or they might have to mature and make sure they are ready. Uh, and one of those two things will happen. It'll either be they're pushed out, which means we're getting rid of bad actors and opportunities for people to maybe launder money or do things they shouldn't do. Alternatively, we'll see people move towards exchanges that, that can allow you to operate in a fair and secure manner. Um, 
on that, I mean, how do you think Jonathan Meeker is likely to improve uh, investor protection? And, you know, how, what's your view on the increased effectiveness of things like trade surveillance if all the all the actors are identified and known now? Where, where do you think we're going in, in that topic? Yeah, so I think there are, there are two important things to consider here, and they're, they're almost not quite diametrically opposed, but they are a little different. Firstly, is investor protection. I'll get on to the sexy, exciting bit that you know, my, I love and my company loves as well and just after that. But for investor protection, I think there are probably two main things that I would talk about. The first one is investor categorization. So making sure that you understand how much knowledge your retail clients have. Are they sophisticated investors that understand uh, derivatives? Are they just people that want to trade spot up to a certain level? Making sure that we understand that retail clients should only be exposed to products that they really do understand. And the third bit or the second bit that's really important are custody requirements. So ensuring that client assets are held in segregated accounts is a huge thing for retail protection. It, I can't get over how big that is. Uh, I won't mention firms that may not have done it or difficulties that we've seen, but ensuring there is segregation of client accounts is of vital importance to ensure that the industry matures and is seen to mature and that there is protection for client funds and client assets in general. So those are the two big things I would talk about in terms of investor protection. <clears throat> when it comes to trade surveillance, Trade surveillance is an interesting place in that invariably it happens post-event. You're looking at events that have already occurred. What you need to do is understand your risk, and I, I say this a lot, but firms need to understand where their risk lies and get to that risk quicker. So one of the things that Aventus does, and I won't go on too long about it, is cast a wide net for alerts but then apply robotic process automation. So not AI that you were chatting about before, more like machine learning, to make sure analysts can really focus on high quality, high level alerts. And this is where I think the industry needs to get to in terms of not necessarily using Aventus to do it, but making sure analysts spend their time looking at these high quality alerts rather than incredible volumes of low quality alerts. And I think once that happens, we'll see a consolidation of, factors and those factors will be understanding the risk it'll be understanding the types of manipulation strategies that occur i think there's a great degree of similarity between what we see for tradfi and what we can see for um crypto assets i think there's a strong correlation between what you can see for less liquid penny stocks if you would or the alternative investment market in the uk and less liquid crypto assets. I mean, realistically, is someone going to spoof and layer Bitcoin the same way someone probably wouldn't spoof and layer Google stock? Unlikely to happen. But if someone wants to spoof and layer Jonathan coin that trades at 36 cents a coin, could have, but for full disclosure, Jonathan coin is my make-believe personal coin that everyone <laughs> Um, there is no Jonathan Coin that I'm aware of. Uh, it's less likely to happen. It's, it's more likely to happen. So it's about understanding your risk cast understanding where that lies and allowing your analysts to focus in on that risk quicker is where I see the real benefits for trade surveillance. I know it's a long-winded answer, so apologies, but I get very excited about trade surveillance. So uh, I am prone to, to going off on the soliloquy. So thank you. Do you see like um, these shift, you know, from dealing with something that already has happened, the crimes that already has happened, analyzing them, 
to like prediction models, is it like likely to start happening in 2023 or you think it's going to be, you know, some time until the industry realizes what you actually need to do for that? I, I think if you can't punish people for thinking about something. You, you, invariably, you can't. You can't also punish clients on the same level until they've transacted. And this probably ties in quite neatly with what I was talking about before in terms of yep. due process. Um, I think prediction modeling works for some things. I think with AML and KYC, mm-hmm. again, until you've laundered the money, until it's been smurfed or structured, until it's been off-ramped, a crime might be planned, but hasn't yet been committed. Um, and I would say pump and dump and, and those sorts of activities are similar. I think where you might have some, some value here is where you start looking at the onboarding process for new digital assets. Mm-hmm. So new digital assets, there needs to be a firm process and procedure in place to ensure that when your CASPs and your exchanges look at what new asset they're going to onboard, do they understand it? Do they understand the risks? So the Squid Game token uh, that was released, I believe, in 2021-2022 was a good example of firms not doing their KYC. I I think it was DeFi not doing their KYC on the token. So this token only went up in price. It, It didn't really drop. And the reason for that was you could buy the token, but if you wanted to sell it, you had to own a certain number of another related token that was only really owned by the investors and the people involved in the uh, pump and dump scam. Now, this meant that people could buy it. The price went up. People saw a continuously rising market. It pumped from cents to thousands of dollars. The uh, investment team that, that created the coin then sold out. The price tanked. And no one had the opportunity to get any of their funds out. And this is a really, really, really good example of how coin listing teams have to do the KYC. And this is how you do your preventative analytics, by understanding the risk of the token. Realistically, can you stop someone pumping a make, well, no, I may believe coin like Jonathan coin, but can you stop someone pumping a coin that's a liquid? It's very hard to do in the same way that you can't stop uh, the GameStop tokens for the GameStop uh, stocks from being pumped by collaborative efforts on Reddit. It's very hard to prevent this. But what you can do is understand the risk and try and prevent it once it's occurring. Maybe put a stop on trading or understand why these events are occurring. Does that make sense as a, a way of understanding the risk? Yeah, it yeah, does. Yeah, I mean, I... One, one comment I had as well is, you know, okay, so, you know, we've touched on token issuance, right, and the due diligence there around token issuance onto an exchange. And maybe you can't catch all of the bad actors that are issuing tokens that, investors can invest in however you might be able to put some regulatory controls in uh to prevent certain activities in the market so for example if the if the behavior is that a token's only ever bought and it can never is never sold you know can the regulators go as regulations and the the, the the exchanges, the issuers of those tokens, go as far as saying, okay, we're going to stop that token sale on the market because it's exhibiting these behaviours. I don't know, but that would seem to be a logical place where you could put a control in place like, uh, you know, deposits in a bank, as an example. 
I think there needs to be due diligence on smart contracts and a better understanding of smart contracts. Yeah. It's all still quite nascent. Uh, and I think there needs to be a further evolution of what the regulators are looking for and how we're looking for it. Um, I wouldn't go so far as for me to propose what the regulators should do. Um, I think there should be an onus on <clears throat> ensuring that when CASPs list tokens or assets, they understand the risks that these propose to investors. Um, I think that's that's key. Not to say they, they shoulder the burden or blame for when things go wrong, <clears throat> but there should be an understanding of what the white papers are, what the risks are, and how the smart contracts operate before anything is listed. And that process needs to be thorough. So we're almost up at time. So we're going to go, I think, to one final question, and, uh, and then we'll wrap up the recording. Um, and it's always, time always flies by on these recording so i think probably the the final question is around from the perspective of uh that your companies right what, what do you think mika and the ongoing regulatory you know increases and improvements in digital assets what, what do you think it's going to mean for technology firms like aventus and and crystal um Good times ahead, bad times ahead. Give us, give us your predictions, Marina. You go first. <laughs> well, uh, you know, for last years, uh, we have been thinking about how do we serve um, the global variety of our customers, and uh, they, many of them, had you know different jurisdictions, and that meant different requirements to you know what they were um, deploying. At some point, about like a couple of years ago, we started thinking about. How do we um, implement some functionality that you know goes beyond the existing requirements? And we start looking, you know, in the future and thinking about you know what comes next. And of course, the unified regulation is what we all have been you know asking for and what we were looking forward. So we had to like uh, think about you know what 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 what's what what unifies them, what might be like similar between them. And of course, FATF guidance served a great um, uh, role in, in all of that. So I'd say that. For us, it's a bit of a relief right now. You know, there are still situations where we have like contradictory uh, requirements from some of our customers. So say um, my favorite example are like Maltese customers uh, and uh, APAC customers thinking differently about like gambling operations and everything related to gambling right now. But at least, you know, within Europe, uh, I can see these, um, uh, yeah, these uptick in um, um, interest again, how the ML uh, should be structured, you know, related to cryptocurrencies and how people should be trained and how to have like correct teams, you know, operating there. But also, I think that, you know, these um, requirements, the uh, in general, you know, what Mika sets up, it will be also one way or another deployed you know, in other countries as well, or, you know, at least taken as an example. So, yeah, I think uh, uh, we have seen these before. Um, uh, also uh, in the countries, you know, for example, who are not members of the FATF, they were always reading and following, you know, whatever the FATF published in their guidance. So, uh, yeah, I can see these these big moves are happening right now. It's definitely, uh, it's definitely good for us. It's a little bit simplifies, you know, the way we... Uh, look at these uh, aggregations of customers being placed in certain locations. Um, so uh, we see a lot of work in front of us and also like on the training side, because of course, um, um, the, as Jonathan rightfully mentioned, you know, if you don't 
devote time and you know uh, attention to KYC, you are not doing your business correct yet. So um, I think our customers understand that. We have to support them. Uh, from my perspective, and, and thank you for the question, I think it's important to note that we're, we, as in Aventus and, and the regulatory solutions environment, is going to become a cost of doing business. It's not going to be a, a nice to have in that you can cut your surveillance team or not run a surveillance team. You're going to be required to have one in order to operate within Europe. And I think that's that's a big thing, especially when you look at global order books as well. This is going to end up becoming global order book surveillance, which can only be positive for clients, can only be positive for uh, retail participants and even institutional participants as well. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for joining us on this show. And uh, we hope you really enjoyed it. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, we hope uh, our listeners will join you know, for our next episode to hear more about the regulations and the technology. <laughs> and, yeah, thank you, Jason, for being such an amazing co-host. No, no problem. Likewise, I'm really excited. Just a little plug for the next show as well. We've got the head of financial crime from BCB Group on the next show. So please uh, listen in. And again, thanks for joining and thank you, Jonathan. Bye for now. Thank you. Bye.